This is the Voice of America coming to you from Chicago, Illinois. Who will win, capitalists or socialists? Are there any other alternatives? This is what we'll deal with in the American Enterprise Manifesto, a book written by Jerry L. Rhodes. The book delves into the possibilities of a third party. Based upon what we've received from the socialists and the capitalists with respect to the evolution of American society and American politics is embodied in the current financial financial situation that we're facing in America. The facts about where we are and where we're going as far as the financial uh, uh, statements for our country, they have, up till now they have been presented to us in a cooked books format. The reality is, is that the current $22 trillion debt uh, and deficit are understated by $100 trillion because the obligations for pensions, uh, government pensions, Medicare, Medicaid, and certain other uh, entitlement programs are not on the books. They are only recorded as paid. So we don't have uh, a set of financial statements or information that are on the generally accepted accounting basis. It's because we're um, only reporting on an institutional basis, which is limited to a budgetary system of cash disbursements and cash receipts. We're running the government like it was a corner drugstore. Um, so in the book, The American Enterprise Manifesto, I as a CPA will map out where we are and where this is taking us financially and politically. Now, this is uh, episode 32, The Promise of Obamacare, which was higher quality at an affordable cost, shortened to the ACA, Affordable Care Act, is in effect after three to four years a lie. This information is reported in my book, America in the Red Zone published by Ex Libris in 2014. The Affordable Care Act of 2012 is not affordable, nor is it the solution to a $4.2 trillion budgetary nightmare. Taking the politics out of it means this is a bipartisan problem. It's called a monopsony game. That's where the federal government controls the Pricing of healthcare services without regard to quality 
or costs. First and foremost, the administration did lie about the cost and the loss of current insurance, leading to further lies about the ease of registration and portability of coverage. Secondly, definitions of coverage will be left to bureaucrats since the government is only funding a contribution to the cost, not providing a benefit. Thirdly, managed care was tried in the late 1980s and early 1990s, and it failed miserably because the principles were to squeeze cost of care, not improve care processes, to be more cost-effective and efficient. Why? Enterprise has been squeezed out of the equation. It is, again, a bureaucratic solution to personal health decisions that are controlled by the individual, not blue zones, not... um, employers, or the IRS. Why? Government is not accountable for performance standards and cannot cannot execute evidence-based systems. Ben Stein in his article, Don't Fear Corporations, states, corporations in our era do not start wars or crucify people or send women and children to death camps. No, only governments that... uh, people who hate corporations love, usually because they are envious of the guts it takes to run a business and, and uh, crave the security that government seems falsely to offer. Corporations give us most of the good things we enjoy day by day in the way of material goods and services and do it in a, uh, in a usually effective law-abiding way. The governments and and political that go after them, the politics that go after them are the ones to fear. Though quality is touted as being the driving force in funding the ACA, it is cost, not care, that will drive the allocation of monies. It will still be treatment income, not wellness outcomes. That is the foundation of the so-called evidence-based system. Pay for performance will then be based on provider's income, not effective patient restorative outcomes. Inductive processes will delegate the responsibilities with transparency being an after-the-money is spent ineffective control mechanism. Business enterprise will be pushed further to the background even though computer technologies are based on standardized business practices and deductive processes. Where is what I call the enterprise model of healthcare being utilized? It is uh, Singapore's healthcare system. It is just the opposite of Obamacare. It is built on a platform of individual responsibility for health preservation, prevent health, prevention, chronic disease prevention and wellness with the individual pay for their their own health preservation and care. It is an enterprise model similar to my shift system, which is self-health investment funding trust. It embraces savings accounts, spending decisions by the individual, and a payment system managed by the government. There are safety nets for the elderly and free health care for the poor who are responsible for their own health and wellness profile. The worldwide data demonstrates that America is 38th in quality and number one in cost per capita. 
and as a percent of GNP. While Singapore is number one in quality with the lowest cost per capita and percent of GNP. Well, what are the, the metrics that prove Singapore's health system is working better than any other approach in the world? Similar to what I am proposing with my shift program. Singapore's life expectancy is superior. Following are some of the life expectancy figures for uh, around the world. Singapore 82, Australia 81 and a half, Canada 81.2, Japan 81, France 80.5, Sweden 80.5, Switzerland 80.5, Germany 79.5, United Kingdom 78.5, and the United States having uh, declined by 2.5 is now 78. Singapore's cost as a percent of GNP is superior to American health uh, expenditures. Follow the nation's percentage of GNP. USA, 16%. Singapore, 3.25%. Canada, 9%. Japan, 8%. Germany, 10%. United Kingdom, 8%. Well, what will lower costs and guarantee and what will lower costs and guarantee quality? Shift the paradigm to private self-help funding trusts administered by mutual health insurance companies created to privatize healthcare for the employed Americans. Medicare and Medicaid will continue to be funded by withholding Medicare benefits and revenue sharing with state Medicaid programs. So following our further um, explanation of the the results of the Obama Affordable Care Act. This segment uh, is about something that comes close to my heart and my head. It seems nowadays everything is an issue. We don't seem to drill down into the root of the problem. And uh, I'm a great fan of the uh, Chicago Tribune, uh, particularly on Sunday. That's where I learn so much about what I'm going to go into, but also foreign affairs. On the front page of last Sunday's uh, Tribune, July 26, 2020, uh, front page, was disinvestment is rooted in policy. Black Latino communities are still negatively impacted. I'm going to read from this, the introduction to this article. It's an oft-quoted statistic. White families have significantly more wealth than non-white families in America, nearly 10 times that of black families. The racial wealth gap continues to greatly impact the differences in opportunity and access from long-term health outcomes of a global pandemic to education and income levels to what happens when a business doesn't make enough money. Wealth inequality exists primarily because of legal, federal, and local policies that prioritize white wealth. 
says Darlene Hightower, Vice President at Rice University's Community Health Equity Office. When you're thinking, I quote, when you're thinking about why white wealth is preserved and protected and black wealth isn't, I think it's just our, our origin story, like in superhero movies. She said, I think our country has an origin story and it is built on, well, it says here racism, uh, racist policies, oppression, and white privilege when she, I think she's trying to say supremacy. It's an origin, origin story we can't seem to get beyond. And then it goes into redlining, which were ways that the blacks were kept from expanding into the white suburbs. But the more important part of this article is uh, it's rooted in policy. And Chicago is a city that's divided. It's divided in the, in the white suburbs and northern part of Cook County and in the southern part of Cook County resides majority black Hispanic census tracts. Uh, a city divided. Although the total percentage of Chicago's population is black, Hispanic, and white is similar, the areas where these folks live are very different. The demographics of Chicago show a city split into separate areas. The map below shows census tracts where there is a majority of one race or ethnicity. And it's so dramatic that if you want to pull that, that edition of the newspaper, there is definitely a uh, the other side of the tracks, south of the tracks, north of the tracks. Chicago demographics, white, 33 and a third percent, 900,000. Black, 29 percent, around 800,000. Hispanic, 29 percent, right around 800,000. Asians, 6.6 percent, 200,000. And other, uh, less than 100,000. <clears> the <throat> impacts on wealth. The long-term effects of limiting property ownership impact wealth and income in Chicago today and probably in every major city in the country. I'm adding that. Black Americans are less likely to get first-time home loans, and the percentage of black Chicagoans under the poverty line is more than five times that of white Chicagoans. Percent of housing units occupied by the owner. This comes from uh, statistics in Chicago 2018. White owners 48%, black 22%, Hispanic 22%, little over 22%. Percentage of approved first-time home loans, this was Illinois 2017, 79% white, 12% white, uh, black. Median incomes, uh, adults over 18, Chicago 2018. Whites, uh, right around 89,000. Blacks, 34,000. Hispanics, 48,000. Then there are the impacts on education. The discrepancy between generational wealth in white and non-white families means that 
among the other t touted resources that improve one's life, a college education isn't easily obtained if you're not white. Percent of schools with increasing enrollments from 2014 to 2020, white majority schools 73%, black majority schools 18%, Hispanic majority schools 23%. Percent with bachelor's degrees, it's adults over 18, Chicago 2018 statistics. White, 64%. Black, 21%. Hispanics, uh, about 17%. Percent unemployed for 16 and older, Chicago 2018 statistics. White, 3.8%. Black, 15.3%. Hispanics, 8.7%. Impacts on business investment. The system of neighborhood investment shaped by redlining affects businesses and food choices presented to the residents of these neighborhoods. Limited access to healthy foods. Chicago statistics 2015. White, 14%. Black, 32%. Hispanic, 12%. Percent of receiving food stamps, households and includes those on SNAP, which are the food stamps um, program, Chicago 2018 statistics, white 11%, black 60%, Hispanics 23%. Percent of U.S. businesses by owner, race, ethnicity, Chicago metro area 2016, white 73%, black 2%, Hispanic 7%. Impacts on health. Latino Chicagoans are more than twice as likely to be uninsured than their white counterparts. But this is only where the discrepancies begin. A lack of incentives for, incentives for clinics and pharmacies to open means that getting medicine or treatment can be very diff, different, a very different process depending on where you live. Percent uninsured. Chicago 2018 statistics, white 17%, black 29%, Hispanic 47%. Preventable hospitalizations per 100,000 people, Chicago 2017 statistics, white 112, blacks 300, Hispanics 170. And with the uh, pandemic, it's probably even more skewed. Life expectancy, Chicago 2017 statistics, white 80, black 71, Hispanic 79. So, you know, looking at this in a, uh, under a microscope to try to drill down to the root of the problems, I think you can take that and lay that template across every city, major city in the country, and you're going to get some more results. So, if that's the problem, what are we going to do about it? And that's what this, um, this um, podcast is all about. Uh, I've got some thoughts of my own of what I call My America, which is a poem from my uh, poetry book of The Eighth Wonder of the World. There are some other poems about my vision of the world and, again, drilling down into where we 
uh, need to start solving the problem. This is not a, this is not an issue between political parties. This is what I would call a pursuit of humanism. It's not racism, fascism, socialism, capitalism, ism, ism, isms. This whole thing is about humanism. So I also have a presentation on that. So I hope you enjoy this uh, this uh, podcast. This episode is about American health care. I tend to call it, want to call it wealth care because America is number one in worldwide health care costs per capita and 38th in quality of care. Statistically, Americans spend more money on their health care than anything else but food. But the consumption of the health care dollar is predominantly not paid for by the consumer. The middleman, so to speak, make the forces of free enterprise moot. Consumers are bystanders in the relationship between purchase and quality because they do not directly pay for the service or products. This phenomenon is called monopsony. The consumer is not the buyer, but the buyer is almost singly dominant. This is the reverse of monopoly where the seller has the last say. This is not Microsoft at work. It is the federal and state Medicare and Medicaid programs that buy upwards to 75% of all health care service products. Under the Obama nation, government will be purchaser of last resort for all Americans. Due to the onslaught of the baby boomers, both the government-run health care and the insurance industry will bankrupt America unless they learn how to win the monopsony game. My book, The Monopsony Game, uh, defines the problems and purposes coming, coming from common sense solutions. Continuing, the rules for health care, I say according to Deming, uh, Edwards, J. Edwards Deming, who was the uh, hero of the Japanese auto industry because he taught them deductive quality, not inductive quality. Health care using Deming rules. Number one, deductive processes using models of care. Uh, such as artificial intelligence systems which base uh, care plans on the diagnosis problems, interventions, and expected outcomes which come from standardized uh, body system models. So if you go to a body system that we just listed and you drill down to where the problem is that is the start of the care plan strategy. Two, use of technology to access models of care based on problems by body systems, not by diagnosis. Three, pursuit of outcome based on electronic research tools. Um, using the internet, 
uh, its, its depth of data, which has content, and relate the uh, care plan strategy for the outcome is then on the basis of analytical tools. Four, pursuit of outcome based on assessment, evidence, and cause in developing the plan of care. We then, on a broader basis, start to establish the causes for breakdowns in any individual's uh, 11 uh, body systems. Five, payment based on quality of life outcomes for each problem. Focus, effectiveness, efficiency, reduces costs and improves outcome. Six, funding for universal health care done by employee savings accounts. The shift the paradigm program, which uh, instills in the patient an incentive to improve their health, to cut the co their costs, and grow their savings account, which they get to keep uh, when they retire. Seven, dis disbursement of funds by private companies, uh, mutually owned insurance companies that invest savings accounts into, back into the uh, marketplace. Eight, individual premiums set based on health and fitness profiles. Nine, major tax deductions allowed individuals for fitness, nutrition, and natural health remedies for health preservation and prevention of breakdown in their 11 body systems. Major tax deductions for screening, for prevention of chronic, prevention and treatment of chronic diseases focused again on the 11 body system. Uh, it's, it's really called an enterprise model, not a medical model. Then, deductive clinical processes are defined as setting a destination and pursuing the destination with the blueprint of care. It starts with an assessment of the patient's problems by body system, physical, emotional, social, and spiritual needs using the assessment instrument that is comprehensive, not minimal, as we now have with the government tools. The use of the NANDA nursing diagnosis problem list cross-tied to the medical diagnosis codes gives us a modeling tool bar none. By linking the patient's holistic problems by body system to doctor's medical diagnosis established and enables the entire process to be standardized. For example, an 85-year-old stroke patient with diabetes, COPD, and hypertension has the following problems. Can't walk, talk, dress, bathe, feed self, or, nor toilet or groom self. Can't remember or sequence thoughts, nor use fine or motor skills. Can't emulate with device or assist and has fear of falling. Can't generate enough strength to reposition self in bed. Can't manage own medications. Can't breathe normally without a device. As a result, is depressed, incontinent, has skin issues, has pain, and is overweight and is combative. The outcome destination is to return home to the spouse. The deficit and outcome measures are related to walking, talking, dressing, bathing, feeding, diet controls, grooming, getting out of bed, emulating with a walker, remembering room name, date, room location, deep breathing, 
asking to go to the toilet with assistance of one person and complying with diet and taking medications. These are all called activities of daily living, which can be traced back to uh, their body systems. If we are practicing inductively, the staff is directed by getting things done for the patient, making the beds, keeping the room clean and uncluttered, with nurses passing medications and doing skin treatments. The routine is focused on keeping the patient fed, a controlled diet clean and dry along with avoidance of further skin breakdown. Ther therapies have their own unconnected uh, plan with separate responsibilities of providing short-term treatments until they subjectively decide the patient has re reached their potential. Then they are turned back over to nursing for activities of daily living maintenance, not restorative programming, because at that point the patient becomes a permanent uh, resident in, in a nursing home. Also, there is an attempt to involve the patient in activities and re religious functions to treat what they call the whole person, though it doesn't provide any restorative care. The last thought is no plan on discharge or independence because this is not the goal. That should be the outcome. Unfortunately, this is the practice procedure in the typical hospital, then to nursing home, long-term care facility. If we are practicing deductively, the staff is directed by the interventions that are planned to restore the patient to his or her highest level of functioning for discharge back home with the spouse. Okay, this is a recording out in open air, so you may hear a lawnmower, may hear a, an airplane, and it's Sherry and I discussing why our caregiver management system isn't being used by healthcare providers to be able to not just bill in more detail, but to be able to justify why the costs are what they are for an individual patient and an episode of care. What is an episode of care? Well, if they've had a stroke, that's only part of the episode. What if they have diabetes and respiratory and they have the coronavirus. Okay, within that episode, we have to be able to track, first of all, the needs that they have to be able to treat and restore. And, so, and sometimes you're having to have them uh, through ER, what are the services provided to get them into uh, an active treatment program and get a care plan developed by what I'm calling a case manager. It's really an RN or a therapist to start developing the detailed plans of care around not just the stroke, but the body systems that are being affected by this episode that they're going through, which will include interventions in the treatment plan and also what you're pursuing. So we have to have a rating system on how to determine how dependency is going to become the rating system.
So if, if four represented totally dependent and three less dependent and two uh, even less dependency to the point of number one being uh, independent, then we have a way of grading the patient on the different problems caused by the stroke when we're restoring them. Because we're going to have interventions by uh, pharmaceuticals, medical supplies, labor, by a nurse or nurses, nurses' aides, therapists, therapy assistants, so on and so forth. So we build a care plan that embraces all of these different elements by episode, because this may be uh, a second episode of that same problem of stroke, for, of that, of those body systems that are affected. So now we're focusing in on restoring certain, or um, treating certain problems of those body systems. Well, what are those? Well, it may be respiratory, it may be dietary, it may be um, mental restoration. So we now have a list of other the problems of my body system. So we're now not working off of a diagnosis or a group of diagnosis, which they're calling RPGs now when they bill, because they're getting paid an average price for input or documentation, not output on what we're accomplishing. They're getting paid for their income, not by outcome, and certainly not by, by uh, body system and problem resolution and outcome. So our system puts visibility to that process. So it will link the doctor's involvement, the hospital's involvement, then downscaling into maybe probably still dependency to the nursing home or rehab nursing home or rehab center. So we can then pursue the outcome of less dependency. What is the ultimate outcome for this person that <coughs> had a stroke? Uh, it's to be discharged home, either with at, through the nursing home process, to the home care, to being independent, but still tracking their needs to prevent another stroke, which gets into the home care, and then they possibly, when they're still somewhat dependent than in an assisted living setting. So we have the options on the basis of this tracking system to be able to determine their level of dependence until they're totally independent and are at home under the care of the family. Or if they have to stay in the facility, yeah. then we still have yes. all the, the care plan and, and yes. the assignment sheets and the goals. And so it's a, it's a caregiver management system. We're managing the caregiving through this process using standardized uh, 
artificial intelligence that comes from our system in terms of how you first set it up, then how do you track it, then putting a cost to it, and then putting a price to it that you then bill Medicare or insurance companies or Medicaid. So now we're focusing in on outcome being in the quality measurement, not just getting bills uh, at Medicare and Medicaid and insurance companies, but getting details of what was done, what it cost, and what the outcome was. Is anyone using this system at this time? No. We basically were trying to put it in our nursing homes and get the hospitals to integrate with that and pharmaceuticals. Of course, it wasn't working because the government didn't require that. They got paid for input, diagnosis. They get paid for diagnosis, certain length of, of stay. In a hospital, the average length of stay is four days. For a stroke, it's four and a half days. If they get them out early, they make more money. If they get them out later than that, they lose money. So the whole program is based on algorithms and codes, not on cost and pricing, including a, a profit margin, which I call the enterprise model. They're getting paid for the medical model, which are algorithms based upon average prices for input, not, not output, not outcome. Is that ever going to change? Well, not until the government requires that they be billed for outcome, not just averages for these diagnoses. So they would have to have our caregiver management system, which embraces artificial intelligence and standardization to do it the right way. Can that ever happen? Only if I get the backing of, say, a pharmaceutical company that wants to do it the right way and, and gets to the government and the government passes rules and regulations that require that that be the basis for billing. Can that happen? Well, I'll just give an example of the way it can happen is you have to turn off the faucet at the front end, which is at the physician level, and no one gets paid unless they're implementing it on the basis of um, uh, body system problem analysis and evaluation of the progress through the, the episode to be able to prove that you got the patient better or you got them well or you got a way to prevent it happening again. All those elements that save costs need to be there. And the only way you're gonna do that is through this caregiver management system concept. And so we need a partner and we need the government realizing how much money is being wasted because they don't have it and then require it. And then everybody wins. The doctors, the hospitals, the nursing homes, the therapists, the, the, the patients, the families. We now have a system we can be proud of. And well, we can have a health care program that we can make universal. The thing I always liked about it is the fact that our care plan is so laid out with all the uh, the goals and as, the, as they attain a goal, the 
the goals change until the patient is better. And uh, the fact that, um, you know, the family uh, or the doctors or whoever is, um, you know, associated with that patient can see the, um, you know, the way they're improving. And, and it's not wasting time on something that they don't need. It's all directed specifically for that patient's need. So, um, yeah, you, you, computers are used to make information visible yeah. and use it for bettering mm -hmm. the patients and their quality of life, right. Right. not just treating it. Because no. many of these options are going to get into how to prevent it. Yeah, and in our two nursing homes, that was one thing that I really liked was the meetings with the families and their excitement at at the difference in their their relative you know when they would come and they'd say oh my gosh and the whole atmosphere of the facility had changed so um you know i i thought it was very rewarding i really enjoyed those days when we had the nursing homes well this development has been going on since 1980 uh when was it 1977 mm -hmm. when i started my uh, public accounting firm Mm -hmm. And then we raised money, then we set up the uh, software development company, and then utilized that through our four companies to try to get it implemented in nursing homes so we then could reverse integrate it into the hospitals and mm -hmm. physician office mm -hmm. using this whole concept. Of, I call it cost accounting, but it's really um, episodic processing. Mm -hmm. of the of the data so we can put a cost to it and we can put a, a measurement of quality to it and then bill it mm -hmm. on that basis so we can provide yeah. a, 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 a utility or a, mm -hmm. a, a, a reason for the profit because it's reducing the cost yeah. and everybody has their assigned interventions and ways of documenting them so if somebody needs to do an audit then mm -hmm. the documentation's there it was never there yeah it was always all handwritten yeah. and it all told you how good things were not how bad things were right and how good we got them so yeah. all, all that is history it's in my books it's in the boomers are coming mm -hmm. it's in elder side well uh, the, the it's good in thing, all the books the good thing about this system is the progress is documented where they don't have to sit and write forever because it's in the computer and you pull out the the um the problem and start documenting on the computer exactly where they are and uh you know what the improvement is and and then as as they get better the interventions are coming off and the goals are getting shorter and changing and and that was the thing the families really liked because then you know they always they could tell we were doing something for their patient not just um billing yeah not just having them sit there and do the same thing every day and uh, you know and i especially liked our our uh, day of the week that we had uh, you know, open visiting from families, and 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 we would have entertainment, and and uh, you know, a lot of our patients just 
they didn't feel like they were had been thrown away in a nursing home. They were in an environment that that made them feel good, and and they they got better. And I think even just the the frame of mind of the patients, um, you know, seeing that change from when they got there and they or well when we bought the facilities and the patients were just doing this mundane thing every day and nothing to look forward to and we you know gave them something to look forward to and and they could tell they were getting better and and uh, the ones that were never going to be able to go home still felt important and like everybody like you know we cared so well I use that approach since 1987 when I took over Fox Valley mm -hmm. yeah. and it was a mess and yeah. I used that to uh, inspire the staff because the state was had a system at that point in time where they rated facilities on mm -hmm. six, what they call the six star system. Mm -hmm. Each star uh, measured the the outcome that they were seeing. Mm -hmm. So if you were no stars, they were seeing no uh, credit for what yeah. you were doing. Yeah. And then uh, the first star was, are you using a care plan to manage the care? And mm -hmm. the second star was, is, is, is the staff being directed using that? And the third star was, are you using the family involvement? And the fourth mm -hmm. star was community involvement. And the fifth star was um, that you were getting the patients restored and they were going home. And the sixth, the sixth star was that you were the best fa facility in the state when it comes to that process. Mm -hmm. Well, Fox Valley had no stars. And then I, since I'd been a part of form, formulating this six-star system when I had contract with the state of Illinois, we then pursued the stars. Mm -hmm. The staff didn't know what a star was, but by the mm -hmm. time we got the six star, mm -hmm. they knew what they stood for and we were pursuing those. Mm -hmm. So they became the measurement for quality of life yeah. in nursing homes. Yeah. And I utilized that at Fox Valley. Then when we got that facility got sold and I had to move on to another project because I had a management contract mm -hmm. there. Then I went to Carrington and using the same approach yeah. to be able to restore people to their highest level of functioning and get them back home. Mm -hmm. I got the, We got the six stars at Carrington. Yeah. Why? Because the staff was motivated, like they are with a sports team, mm -hmm. to get the six stars. Yeah, and we exactly. had restorative programs going on. Ten or, I think we had 13 at one time mm -hmm. at Carrington. We had seven or eight or getting into it at, at Fox Valley. Mm -hmm. Well, then Carrington got sold to someone else mm -hmm. and lo and behold they they, they undid everything we did mm -hmm. yeah. and so then we went back into consulting and then we were putting pieces of the software mm -hmm. in 140 different facilities to be able to document what they were providing and accomplishing under the Medicare program which meant they could keep them keep them on Medicare mm -hmm. longer got more Medicare money didn't have to convert them from uh, private pay and the Medicaid, where the private pay had to spend down to get get the Medicaid money. We kept them on mon Medicare for longer, and there was more money to uh, pay the staff and get the place cleaned up and get better supplies. And yeah. and so successfully for 20 years, we were doing that. Only company in the world that was using because we had the system that we developed 
to get better care. Yeah. It's in more, 57% of the, of the patients that we admitted in our two, three facilities that we owned eventually went home. Yeah. So it was to get them in, get them better, and get them out mm -hmm. was the whole philosophy. Mm -hmm. And then we ran head on into the surveyors because they wanted us to spend all the time uh, wiping, uh, changing diapers, wiping rear ends their way, and passing pills on time. And so it, it took us completely out of the mode of getting our complete system in, which we never did. And uh, eventually I ran head on into fines and them making Pro, uh, making allegations that weren't true, and so we finally ended up. We just said we're getting out. We 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 can't change this from the bottom up. Yeah. It's got to be changed from the top down. Yeah. And so we took the system out of every place that we had it in, and then are just setting on it. Yeah. And have visions of the future where this becoming the standard system, and yeah. the and the government using it for. Uh, compliance mm -hmm. uh, because what they're using now is just fear it's yeah. an enforcement system and it isn't a reinforcement system yeah. it needs to reinforce using this type of a system mm -hmm. which is an, a, an artificial uh, software built application that we still own and still have that no one else is is using yeah. and the government needs to be the person the, the entity that says this is the required system and these are the regulations that support this system. Mm -hmm. And I call it an enterprise model because it gets everybody working for these six stars. Yeah. The government needs to use those six stars to measure not just nursing homes, mm -hmm. but hospitals, physicians, yeah. home care, the whole, and it should be integrated. The whole system needs to be integrated. So mm -hmm. we're dealing with a uh, data processing or, or an information processing system that tracks everything on the basis of of body system problems and episodes and outcomes and and then it it, 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 it requires the physicians and the therapists and the nurses and, and everybody that are providers to be teaming up and integrating everything for that purpose. Mm -hmm. Until we have that, this whole thing is a four trillion dollar mess. Yeah. And they're they're getting and their government, which is the monopsony, they're they're the buyer. Mm -hmm. The consumer isn't the buyer; it's the government. Yeah. And until they require that they get something for their money, mm -hmm. uh, we're going to have waste in the system. We're going to have corruption. We're going to have uh, crime. Yeah. Uh, none of this can be prevented with the way they're paying now. Yeah. So you know that's well, the, probably the the best thing we can say in this episode. Yeah. Well, though I just was remembering this one time that the surveyors came in and they were just beating us up on everything. And they had a new young girl that they were training. And she pulled me aside and said, I'm sorry. She said, I don't know what's going on. But she said, you know, this is the cleanest nursing home I've ever been in so far. And and everybody seems happy. And, and so she said, I, I don't understand what's going on and I said you know maybe you don't want to be a surveyor because they come in and just they come in with a chip on their shoulder and how they're going to beat you up and that's what they do 
Yeah, they, they, they didn't follow the rule of law. No, if, if, no. If there's such a thing, it was arbitrary and capricious yeah. on how they wrote up uh, our facility and all the facilities. Mm -hmm. their, their tactic was fear. Yeah. You know, you, you buckle under these folks because yeah. they can get you. That's and, exactly and what that's was exactly going on. what yeah. happened to us. Yeah. And we did. We had the ombudsman saying we we have never been in a facility that, that had this much caring and much yeah. this cleanliness and this mm -hmm. environment as yours. And the happiness of the patients yes. too. Or the well, and the we families. just made them feel worthwhile, you yes. know. And that's what yeah. that was. Well, it's documented in the boomers are coming and else yeah. elder side and. America in the red zone because people are not healthy and our book Sherry and I have written which is is, is uh, about our memoir on how, on how our marriage has contributed to our, our good health and we're now at, at the age of 80 and we're certainly not uh, unhealthy huh? we're not decrepit we are not I wouldn't want to be in someone else's nursing home I would want to be in ours if I ever had to go in one but we don't have one now yeah. And so we're looking to team up with somebody has, that has this same vision. Yeah. And uh, we will someday. That and was actually <laughs> some of my favorite moments in our life so far was when we had the nursing homes and the, yeah. just to see the, the difference in, that we made from what it was when we got them, you know. And, uh, well, we still have the prototype of the software. Yeah. And we know what it can do. Oh, it makes everything easy. Yeah, it does. It's just, uh, we never know. got it completely implemented because of the obstacles. Mm -hmm. It has to come from the top down. Yeah. It can't come from us, the bottom up. Well, and everybody had happen. their individual nurse uh, um, care plan. It wasn't like everybody had the same thing going on we yeah. personalized it so it meant something you know and and it worked and then we could change the interventions because that you know one thing was no longer a problem and, and uh, yeah then it become that proof just, of, yeah. of an outcome that was just some of the most rewarding time of my life I, I just I really enjoyed that so there were some 40 years invested in that from my accounting firm to our management consulting firm to our management company to our ownership of nursing homes because by the time we got there we there was no other way we could sell it and the government wasn't buying it because they aren't looking for uh, outcomes they're paying for uh, diagnosis which is really for provider incomes and for the for the nursing homes they pay on on an average rate per day call it uh, uh, rugs, re resource utilization groups, which is just another academic term for averaging the, and keeping the price down because it doesn't relate to any kind of outcome. And I'd have to go back to 1975 when I first got engaged by the Department of Health, Education, and Welfare to come in and try to determine a system that would track the costs and then pay on the basis of of costs for different levels of care. And when I walked in, it, it was a room full of uh, professors from the Eastern East Coast and West Coast college, uh, universities talking about using regression analysis on claims. Well, claims had no relationship to cost. So then I got out my uh, 
I, I, I had uh, a way to put this up on a screen and my showing them how costs react to um, levels of care and that not every patient is, is getting the same thing nor are they needing the same thing so their costs vary. So we have to have a system somewhere that tracks that variability and then for, uh, require that information to be produced to substantiate price. Well, you know, I got, I, got the right, I got the assignment for writing a white paper on how all this would work. And then that was 1977, then they buried it. And uh, it included, at that point, a, an assessment of the patient's needs. It was called the PACE document, the Patient Assessment Care Evaluation. But because it was 82 pages long, and it could have been three pages long if they would have been focusing on the right things, but I, I didn't get the project for taking that forward, and uh, then they came up with RVUs for hospitals, no, for doctors, rug, uh, DRGs for hospitals, and rugs for nursing homes, and opus for home care, and it's all averaging. And my, my definition of, a, of averages is you put a, a bucket of hot water, a, a, a person's foot in a bucket of hot water and a, their foot, other foot in a bucket of cold water, and on average they should feel great. Well, <laughs> at the extremes you feel terrible. So averaging will never work, and it's there, and that's the way they pay. They pay on the average for a group of diagnosis or a group of uh, encounters by physicians or a group of uh, payment on, the, on averages for patient days, uh, averages in nursing homes and in home care. So we're not getting to, we're, we're paying for minimum standards, which every, the minimums become maximums. We need to be paying for maximum standards using the six star system and our processing system that would justify the pricing. And uh, then rate them or evaluate them there every year on these six, six stars. Again, it's in the books. And, you need to buy the books if you want more details, but we'll continue to pursue this uh, until I guess we're in a nursing home. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think the one thing also that sticks in my mind is, is uh, and I think it was Fox Valley, where once you got in there and got everything going and cleaned up and everything, and then they sold the facility, and the, the people said, you know, here, you know, you're the coach that took us to the Super Bowl, and now they're throwing you out. Yeah. You know, and that was well. True. What, what was the experience when I first took over Fox Valley? And you were you were working in the basement of my accounting firm. <laughs> I sold that, and we were in the we were in the basement with my big uh, 250 NEC computer that you could hardly get in one room. And you finally got out of there and, and started setting up an office. But then I wanted to bring Christy after I'd been, I took over, <laughs> yeah. I took over as administrator <laughs> with a management contract. And within five days, there was a drowning in the, in the whirlpool because the therapist walked away to chart and the state was there wanting to close me down. And I had to go down to, to their main office and say, I'm here to fix it. I'm not here to make it worse. And so then uh, that was in 
the fall, the summer and fall, and then the next Easter, Christy came in with Alec, our yeah. grandson, and I said, well, you got to bring him out. To our first and only grandson. And you, you used to say, well, you can smell it from the parking lot. Yeah. I hate that place. <laughs> and so I was wanting my grandson to come out there because it was better. So what was that all about? Yeah, and, and so I said, Christy, get your coat. We're going out there and we're going to keep a hold of Alec because I don't want anybody touching him because it smells terrible. And you're gonna you're gonna hear a weed blower too or a leaf blower, but Sherry, go ahead. Uh, but anyway, so um, and Jerry was saying no, it you know it doesn't smell, and I said you are just used to it, so you know you don't notice it anymore. And we walked in, and I could not believe it. Jesus Christ. <laughs> No, well, we're going to finish it. Uh, it's just circumstantial. <laughs> so, you were talking, saying? Well, anyway, so we, uh, we walked in, and there was no odor, and everybody was clean, and I couldn't go. <laughs> this is uh, recording number two of my favorite poem in uh, my poetry book, The Eighth Wonder of the World. It's called My America, the Bountiful. My America is the feeling of freedom. It's the feeling good when you get up in the morning and can decide what you're going to do that day, who you're going to see, and what you're going to say. It's the feeling that you can make a difference. It's the feeling you can produce your product, you can sell your produce, and you can benefit from your hard work unhindered. It's the feeling when you help your children with their homework so they'll be able to see their knowledge for growth, for maturity, for the good of the country. It's the feeling when you send them off to school, knowing they will receive a concerned teacher's attention, sensitivity, and guidance, and knowing as they grow up they will thrive on their freedom to communicate, to express themselves, to direct their own destiny. It's the feeling when they graduate from grade school, junior high, and high school that they are taking the steps towards a better life. And when you give their hand away in matrimony, that happiness shall be theirs. For together, as husband and wife, they can create the same and even more opportunities for their offspring. It's the feeling when you can unchain your dog and watch her run, free for the at least a little while to watch the expression on her face when she re she's released from the shackles and the sadness that reappears when she must be chained. My America is the freedom of choice to buy the bread I want to buy, to acquire the goods I can afford to acquire, to invest my capital I have saved in ventures I want to take for the good of my family and my country. Continued. My country is being able to communicate in writing, speaking, and in whatever form language takes my opinions, my thoughts, my prayers, my visions, and my dreams to those who want to listen and to those enemies of America, of the America way who in themselves have not discovered America. My America is the blooming rose that has the freedom to grow toward a clear sky and warm sun, being able to complete the, its cycle 
from bloom to plumage to autumn, to a dormant grave only to rise again. My America is the personal commitment to grab opportunities that will better the country and to set an example for those who follow. What you give must be in proportion to what you take, or the erosion shall remove the sky, the sun, and the earth from our grasp. For in our America and the world, resources are limited. The energy, though absolute, is redistributed by our wills. The more astute, the more free we are to create, the better the use of the resources. And left in God's hands, through our America, we create goodwill, good products, good people, and peace of mind. My America, the bountiful. Oh yes, my America, the vision of the poet, the words of the orator, and the minds of the leaders. Be kind, be patient, be wise, but above all, humble to the reasons and the heritage of our freedom. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil ventures and purposes. For thine is mine America, as the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. So help us, God. Amen. In my book, uh, The Boomers Are Coming, um, the foundation of American democracy is in the pursuit of the greater good. As a country, we pursue what is good for most of the people most of the time. But that is not our approach for the health care of, of our elderly. Of the 330 million people in America, 77 million are baby boomers. And in the next 10 years, a staggering majority of them will turn 60, 7,000 per month. Even though it would be for the greater good of America, there are no provisions for taking care of these aging lives in the current approach to health care and the health care budget. There are only time bombs. Currently, there are 3.2 million falls per year among the elderly, and 2.3 million of, the, of those are in nursing homes. There will be 80 million per year when the baby boomers come of nursing home age. On average, baby boomers will have four to five chronic illnesses by the time they are 65. That equates to 350 million chronic conditions. 77 million families will be affected by the difficulties and chronic conditions imposed on them by aging baby boomers. 77 million households are not equipped and never will be to handle chronic illnesses and dependent lives. About 77 trillion will be imposed annually on the budgets of state and federal governments to care for the aging boomers. 77 million voters will be engaged by the lack of preparation for and health care coverage for the greater good. Those same 77 million voters with an average yearly spending of $50,000 that adds up to $3.86 trillion do not want to spend their money on the current health care system. They would rather invest in health preservation than in health maintenance. The 145 million uninsured will become 100 million as the baby boomers become of retirement age and unemployed. There are currently 1.7 million nursing home patients in 16,000 nursing homes and 4 million assisted living residents in 23,000 assisted living facilities. 
we will need 17 times as many nursing homes and 18 times as many assisted living facilities to handle 77 million baby boomers in a supportive setting. 1 million physicians, 2.4 million nurses, 4,500 hospitals, 16,000 nursing homes, and 6.4 other health professional, 6.4 million other health professionals cannot handle the needs of 77 million aging baby boomers who want their share of the health care dollars. Making the radical change from health maintenance to prevention and health preservation will take trillions of dollars to serve the greater good and make more Medicare money available. On top of these time bombs, we have 77 million high expectations. We're expecting these 77 million baby boomers to just accept nursing homes and assisted living as they are, think again. They tend to be dependent on others for their approach to health care and generally are not staying healthy, nor are they schooled in preserving their health and do not want to pay more for preventing poor health. Compounding this, their health care providers are not schooled in detecting cause or in pursuing measurable outcomes, but they are paid regardless of results. This uh, segment is on deductive systems. If the hospital or nursing facility has 100 patients that have a combination of chronic diseases along with medical problems that are being treated, it is impossible to manage the care without a very functional care planning system that's focused on outcomes, not paperwork and income. They also represent the tool for making the transition from the physician's office to the hospital, to the nursing home, to the um, home care, to the assisted living, and making the cycle again if, if there is need for emergency care. The design of such systems typically has been left up to the clinicians who typically do not think deductively. In medical, nursing, and therapy schools, most of the time is spent on how to pursue treatment and not outcomes. Until the focus is medical and emotional training, in, a medic, in medical and emotional training is driven by the pursuit of outcomes, the schools will continue to graduate a good part of the problem. Clear care plan or treatment plans, as they're sometimes called, should be the center of the clinical world. They should be integrated. They should be pro, 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 uh, processed, oriented to be able to track the process through the whole continuum of care, from, from ER to home to as much independence as can be accomplished. Deductive programming forces the processes to be thought through and, and irrelevant procedures eliminated. For example, why would all patients receive vital signs and checklist care when, whether they need it or not and then have their urinary skin, exercise, companionship, and life interests ignored? Why? Because the healthcare facility gets paid whether the patient gets better or not. Nursing homes and hospitals are not a housing alternative. They are medical service businesses 
and they take money for that purpose. Even though it is a regulatory requirement that every patient have a functioning care plan, it does not require that it be efficient, productive, and quality-driven. Staff know quality-driven or outcome-driven. The staff knows it isn't. The families know it isn't. The surveyors know it isn't. So why do, why not make it a deming rule? Let the system be fixed so the staff can like their job, stay, and get something productive done each day, and the patient goes home and stays home. The perfect system that I will call a care or a case management system puts the patient problems in the forefront by body system and the outcomes in the back seat. What must we do to get the person restored to their highest level of functioning so they can have a life? Is that too much to expect for thousands of, of dollars per hour or tens of thousands per day? That is, in a nursing home, $16,000 per month, and that is $198,000 per year. Come on, there should be no excuse for not providing what the patient needs to be restored, not warehoused. Case management does what was proposed in the explanation of deductive processes. It produces results for the money. It is not the reason for doing, rather it is the result of doing it. Case managers, nurses or therapists or physicians can fix all the defects in the nation's Healthcare providers, if allowed to organize the care into manageable units of service measured by units of outcome, it is as simple as that. It is top management's responsibility to let the staff do it. In my experience, the staff knows usually what to do if organized and uh, accredited to do that. Electronic research tools. Every computer today has access to a vast research tool the internet, you Google it and you will find an answer. It may not be the one you like, but you'll get some kind of an answer. But most providers would rather be told what to do and what they can't do rather than look it up and make an interpretation that helps their caseload. Pursuit of outcomes is really the pursuit of quality of life. Research in healthcare must relate to determining causes of problems, not just symptoms. Typically, the clinician is not tapping into electronic search engine for help on determining the root of the problem by body system, leaving much to guess. It is my position that we must preform the care as we know what to perform and when. If, this, if the cause is not determined, the care is still art form and anyone can do it. When the case is determined, when the cause is determined, the care is the science and only a professional can do that. Quality of life for an aging society is much different than sports injuries or drive-by shootings. The elderly are suffering from a multitude of ailments that are determined by genetics, lifestyle, and habit patterns. Until each individual is personally responsible for the cost of their care, they don't really care about cost. To control cost is an individual equation, not an enforcement or containment issue. A healthy American is a cost-effective American. They don't stop, stop up billions of dollars in chronic episodes at the ER. They don't swallow billions of dollars in pills that all have side effects. They don't spin down and become wards of the state the rest of their lives. They don't suffer from depression, alcoholism, drug dependency, etc. So outcome starts with the income of each person, individual American. 
If they can see an economic benefit in their pocket today for staying healthy, they will make the effort. If someone else is paying the bill, they will procrastinate into the ER, to the hospital, back home, back to the ER, and they're called frequent flyers. Funding. Who has to pay the bill? That's the $4 trillion question. In 2020, we will be spending 30% of the gross national product on healthcare if we don't stop the guessing and wasteful business practices called the medical model. The politicians all want someone else to pay the bill while they have their cushy healthcare coverage. The Republicans propose that every American be their own insurance company. The Democrats propose that the government increases taxes so they can increase health reform spending. While the Democrats such as I, ask, what about the waste in the system? And I call it the enterprise system, enterprise model. If the $600 billion per year in resources wasted were preserved, there would be enough money, and if there were enough money, you can bet we would have enough staff time being wasted to get it all done in record time. All it takes are Deming-like leaders. Let's review, lest you forget. Quality leads to lower costs. Most defects are caused by the system. Buy from vendors committed to quality. Fear leads to disaster. Work with your suppliers. Be loyal. Okay, what is the fire drill? Number one, we must first define quality. No measures that count mistakes, such as how many of that defect and how many of that defect. In outcome terms, how many patients were restored to higher levels of functioning and are going, are being discharged home? Two, revamp the inductive systems using deductive systems. Case management or the system uh, my company developed was, was called the caregiver management system. It's the tools to do process tracking, cost accounting, and then pricing the, the service products on the basis of the value brought to the patient. Three, require that the providers define the quality of the products that they buy and then expect them to, to defect to be def defect free, free. Then the consumer is involved in the payment process. It's their money. Gonna ask, why does it cost so much? Why, why, why don't I get better? Why do I need so many pills? Well, how long is this gonna last? Uh, certain <laughs> embarrassing questions of the providers. Four, get rid of the fear factor of an enforcement mentality by our government. The, their mentality is, is rule by the rules or f fine or, you know, claim fraud, and that's jail time. Five, electronically link up to the provider networks using standardized systems and terminology. Right now, within a hospital, they call it a catheter, two or three different things. We do not have standardization in healthcare and never will until we get to a system, a simplified system that focuses in on body systems, not 77,000 diagnoses. And for that, I have this uh, story, brief story that I read about the Cook County, Cook County Hospital in the, this was in the late 80s or 90s, I don't know, and their their emergency room was packed. There were lines outside. 
These were people that are typically from poor neighborhoods that are underserved or uh, homeless people that are trying to get into the hospital, be admitted for chest pains and uh, a meal. And, the, and then the, the hospital physicians had developed a checklist to be able to isolate whether it was a, you know, false positive or a false or, or a definite uh, heart condition. And uh, it took, uh, it, it took sitting down with each of these people in the waiting room going through this checklist. And it wasn't a hundred items, but it wasn't the three that the new CEO came up with from his uh, training in, in uh, master's uh, uh, of business school. As he reduced it down to three items. Have they had, recently had a heart attack? Have they had an EKG that was negative? And um, what was the third one? Um, an EKG uh, or a recent hospitalization for a heart condition. Those three items, if, that, if they were checked yes, the patient was admitted. If not all three were checked yes, the patient was not admitted. And it became way more um, reliable than the one they had before. And they cleared out the ER room so that it wasn't the place to go to get a meal. Uh, it was the place to go to get care. This coupled with a change in America's attitude that we are healthy until proven otherwise must happen or we will be all be sicker from pills and irrelevant testing. Granted, not everyone is responsible for themselves, but the majority is until the system tells me tells them that there are safety nets to don't worry about the cost of health care. The employers or the government will take care of it for you. Oh, that's kind of a joke. I looked for the enemy and the enemy was me. Is I don't want to pay. I don't want to have to stay healthy. It is simple to cut costs, cut incidence of chronic disease by preventing it. Each and every American can do it through diet, exercise, and effort. If they don't, we all will be in a nursing home suffering from loneliness and bankruptcy. And you can't trust the government. If you are depending on the politicians and the government to fix it, take a look at the last 20 years. The rhetoric is the same. Contain and refrain from driving up costs, but keep those tax dollars coming so we won't be able to, or we won't be able to pay for Medicare and Medicaid, pills, tests, and bypass surgeries. In theory, the government is us. I say in theory, have you tried to get your friendly senator or representative on the phone lately? Good luck. They are too busy to listen to public, which is why we have def deflectors called legislative aides. To make universal health care work, it cannot be administered by big government or big business. It is corrupt, too corrupt. What is needed is a concept which the individual does have control over their funding and disbursement of health care dollars, but only upon presentation of the need and have it focused on body systems, not on these 77,000 diagnosis codes. Because what happens here is we don't get paid for care, we get paid for a code. And if that code doesn't clear Medicare, Medicaid, or insurance company, they don't pay. And if no one pays, then guess what? You're bankrupt. Otherwise, the money will be peeled off for other 
for other gambles and nothing left for paying the bills. So this is what it's down. What the bottom line is is savings accounts, shift of self-health insurance funding trusts, shift the paradigm to individual health care. Yes, individual savings accounts that are tax deductible and accumulate a return on investment, administered by the mutual health insurance companies, not by the government. The fund is portable and invented by, invested by professional investors. The healthier the person, the more there is left for later care and retirement. For the unemployed, we'll have a workable Medicaid funding um, enterprise fund. For, ex for catastrophic illnesses, we will have an affordable Medicare re um, enterprise fund. Everything else will be an employee withholding program for long-term long health care, be it a physician, hospital, nursing home, home health, or assisted living. That's called universal health care. We need a national health care policy with defined benefits and an enterprise funding approach. It has to work because America works on the same basis. Fund as you go along by forced savings and improved utilization by staying healthier because it makes us all money. Demi would love us if we could, if we can meet the Japanese culture of business or maybe we should just let the Japanese run our healthcare system. This is from the introduction to the book, The Boomers Are Coming, a self-health book by Jerry Rhodes. It's called Shifting the Paradigm. Since the baby boomers are retiring at an unrelenting speed of 10,000 per day and applying for Medicare at 7,000 per week into a healthcare system that cannot handle the 3 million currently needing health services, a shift in the paradigm to a self-health insurance funding trust is inevitable. The, this cuts illness costs and improves wellness outcomes. Self-health is defined as each individual accepting responsibility for their own decisions that affect their health care costs. A funding trust through withholding from employees' share salaries matched by the employer and allowing them to s spend the funds on preventive health measures and prevention of their own future health care needs replaces expenditures for the greater good reduces expenditures for the greater good 40% and improves outcomes 100%. The national problem is that 80% of the $2.2 trillion spent on illness in the last two years of people's lives, this does not meet the health needs of the rest of Americans. It is reactive, not preventive in its infrastructure. There is 400 to $600 billion in waste in the system. To grow the economy, create jobs, and encourage expansion of the health services as the largest service provider in the world, the waste must be eliminated and the savings better spent on improving wellness, prevention of illness, and preservation of health. The new health service industry can cut costs and improve health, Americans' health. The systematic solution is as follows. Number one. Computerized self-assessment of health conditions required for each American annually for the purpose of establishing health care rates for the self-health insurance funding trust program. Two, national data based, uh, na a national ba database created by analysis of health problems 
and setting rates to be based by physicians to diagnosis, prevent and treat illnesses, especially chronic diseases. Number three, wellness plans printed for each American's problems and transported with the patient before un, uh, utilizing health care services, except for emer emergency services. Four, over-medication and rehospitalization of the elderly must be reduced and eradicated as much as possible. Finally, health service companies will have to base their services on each individual's health fitness profile using computer models of care with anticipated outcomes for individual problems. Each service provider would be paid on an economic incentive formula for improving wellness and each American would pay premiums based on their self-health program. <laughs>